Section 3 of Criminal Investigation, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Criminal Investigation, A Practical Handbook for Magistrates, Police Officers and Lawyers, Volume 3, by Hans Gross. Translated by John Adam and John Collier Adam. Chapter 16, Bodily Injuries and Poisoning, Continued. Another important and rather frequent circumstance is when the weapon bursts. This generally happens when a suicide, determined not to fail in his design, overloads the arm, which a murderer would think quite unnecessary. Further, a firearm pressed too closely against the body is, especially if of a poor quality, likely to burst, owing to the inability of the explosive gases to escape. The murderer would rarely require thus to press the firearm against the body, and even if he did, the victim would always shrink back sufficiently to produce, between himself and the firearm, a space by which the gases could escape. On the other hand, the presence of the weapon is for the most part quite indifferent. It is common to find no weapon beside persons who have undoubtedly committed suicide. This is generally attributed to the theft of the weapon by those arriving first on the scene, the weapon used by a suicide being usually supposed to produce superstitious effects. The following is a most instructive case. Early one morning the authorities were informed that the corpse of a murdered man had been found. At the spot indicated, in the middle of a bridge crossing a rather deep stream, the body was found of a grain merchant, A.M., supposed to be a well-to-do man, face downwards with a gunshot wound behind the ear. The bullet, after passing through the brain, had lodged in the frontal bone above the left eye. His pocket-book was missing, and the seam of the inside pocket in which it was usually carried was ripped up, as if the pocket-book had been rapidly and violently snatched out. His watch and chain were also missing. Of the latter, the ring attaching it to the waistcoat button was alone left. A policeman stated that A.M. had been seen the evening before in a spirit shop, where he drank with moderation, and left about 10.30 p.m., stating that he was about to return home. To reach his house, he had to pass over the bridge where he was found dead. In the spirit shop there was at the same time as A.M. an unknown wretched-looking man, who throughout the evening drank but a single glass of spirits, and left shortly after A.M. The latter had several times taken out his pocket-book, which appeared well filled, though no one could say whether he had any money or how much. The supposition was therefore natural that the unknown had followed A.M., murdered him on the bridge, and robbed him. He was accordingly searched for, arrested, and brought to the spot. He denied all knowledge of the crime, and said he had passed the night in a barn, which, however, he could not point out to the police. Just when the inquiry was concluding, and the corpse was about to be removed after the post-mortem, the investigating officer observed, quite by chance, that on the decayed wooden parapet of the bridge, almost opposite the spot where the corpse lay, there was a small but perfectly fresh injury, which appeared to have been caused by the violent blow on the upper edge of the parapet, 
of a hard and angular body. He immediately suspected that this injury had some connection with the murder. Examination with a magnifying glass showed nothing important, but it was impossible to avoid the impression that here the murderer had thrown something into the water and thus damaged the parapet. Accordingly, the investigating officer determined to drag the bed of the stream below the bridge, when almost immediately there was picked up a strong cord about fourteen feet long, with a large stone at one end, and at the other a discharged pistol, the barrel of which fitted exactly the bullet extracted from the head of A.M. The case was thus evidently one of suicide. A.M. had hung the stone over the parapet of the bridge and discharged the pistol behind his ear. The moment he fired, he let go the pistol, which the weight of the stone dragged over the parapet into the water but the pistol had struck violently against the parapet in passing over, and so caused the injury observed. Experiment showed the trick to be quite easy, and that the parapet was damaged every time. Subsequent inquiries disclosed that the pistol actually belonged to A.M., that his affairs were hopelessly involved, and that he had just effected an insurance on his life for the benefit of his family for a large sum. As the company did not pay in cases of suicide, A.M. had adopted this means to conceal the suicide and lead to the belief that he had been murdered. 8. Another important point not to be forgotten is this. It is not uncommon to find large gunshot wounds while the dress covering them is not in the slightest degree injured. Dr. Bernard V. Beck writes thus, During the campaigns of 1848 and 1849, as well as in duels with pistols, I have observed this phenomenon, especially with spherical projectiles. Once I found a deep wound in the arm with fracture of the humerus without any corresponding hole in either the cloak or tunic. Another time I found a wound in the forearm while neither the chemise nor flannel vest was pierced. I have twice seen the projectile bury itself close to the iliac bone without injuring the linen, and several times have found wounds in the region, and even in the joints, of the foot, without injury to the boot. Dr. Richter also has remarked that it frequently happens that the shirt or the soft upper leather of a boot is driven by the projectile into the wound without being pierced. If, then, a companion or the wounded man himself drags out the garment, he pulls out at the same time the projectile, which cannot therefore be found in the wound. The same author states that a doctor, on the battlefield, searched in the brain of a wounded man for a ball which all the time was sticking in the trimming of his cap. Yet the ball had hit the cap hard enough to break the soldier's skull. Knotts relates an analogous case in which a woman received a violent horn thrust from an ox. The skin arranged itself like the finger of a glove round the horn, but yet the abdominal muscles were torn. These surprising observations may elucidate more than one insoluble case and prevent serious errors. 
but they also teach those who arrive first on the scene of a crime either to leave everything exactly as it has been found or if it is absolutely necessary to move anything to make the most accurate report to the medical man of everything that has been done however insignificant it may appear to the outsider if they do not the ablest medical man may lose all his trouble nine in dealing with this subject it would for theoretical completeness be necessary to discuss in detail the effects of modern rifle fire but as has been pointed out in chapter eleven page four hundred and thirty one for the purposes of this work and especially in view of the conditions for the carrying and use of firearms in general and military rifles in particular in india such a minute examination is unnecessary the following general remarks will suffice they are based on experiments made by dr habert with the manlicher rifle and may be taken as generally representative of modern rifle practice for other experiments see the works of authors in appendix one it should first be noted that modern arms of precision produce very characteristic wounds but the phenomena of these are not identical for all distances great differences being produced according to the range roughly speaking we may distinguish four zones or ranges one the first extends to about 500 yards here the projectile crushes the cellular tissue reducing it to atoms and destroying its cohesion over an extensive surface two the second zone approximately from 500 to 1200 yards is that of clean wounds the bullet makes a clean passage through the fleshy parts and a hole of its own caliber in flat or spongy bones three at the third range from 1200 to 1800 yards the bullet breaks and tears the part touched and causes much destruction the bones are broken in a thousand morsels the fleshy parts are mangled and the orifice of exit by which the bullet leaves the body presents the appearance of a crater seven or eight times the size of the orifice of the entry four beyond this range the bullet begins to lose its force although its killing power may extend up to 4500 yards the bullet wounds the fleshy parts shocks splits or goes round a bone and at last produces only contusions the explosive effect of some non-explosive projectiles has been explained in various ways that most generally accepted is that the effect is due to hydraulic pressure by which the incompressible liquids with which the organs and vessels are filled transmit the shock in all directions and thus produce an extremely powerful radiating effect the following observations may be made a the orifice made by the bullet in entering the body is generally small and may when the range is very short and the elasticity of the skin comes into play as in the belly be less than three sixteenths of an inch in diameter the opening is either a well-marked tear in the form of a star or perfectly round with very clean-cut edges as if struck with a punch if the shot has been fired point-blank as in the case of suicides 
the skin round the orifice is burned and blackened, often in an irregular manner. For shots fired at a distance of one to ten yards, the orifice is surrounded by a blackish circle, less than one-eighth of an inch wide, which is not due to burning but to the terrible crushing of the tissues. This coloration may also be produced at the orifice of exit. B. In the first half of the zone, that is, up to about 250 yards, the diameter of the orifice of entrance varies from one-quarter to three-eighths of an inch, and for greater distances may extend to half an inch, a diameter rarely surpassed. If the projectile does not strike the body at right angles, the orifice of entry is lengthened or even forms a channel on the surface, and the edges and hair are buried more deeply in the flesh than with round orifices. When the bullet produces an explosive effect, the orifice of entry is often filled with splinters of bone buried therein, or presents strips of flesh hanging outwards. C. The diameter of the orifice of exit varies from half an inch to one and a half inches. In the latter case, the opening generally contains splinters of bone, and damage is also sometimes caused by the steel envelope of the bullet, which may become detached. If the fragments of bone and morsels of muscle are thrown beyond the orifice of exit, the range was probably under 100 yards. And if a projectile, which retains its shape, quits the body at a spot where the skin is stretched tightly over a bone, as on the skull, the orifice is firm and tense, and so much resembles the orifice of entry as to be easily mistaken for it. In these rare but important cases, the orifice of exit is less than that of entry, and such insignificant orifices often lead to the assumption that the wound is of little importance. Careful examination alone discloses the severe internal injuries. D. If the projectile encounters little resistance, as in the intestines, the orifices of entry and exit are generally small, and the projectile is not misshapen. E. If the projectile strikes a hard bone, and so gets misshapen, or the steel envelope gets turned up, the orifice of exit will necessarily show traces of the same. While these results remain true for ordinary rifles, it must be noted that recent practical experience, particularly in the Anglo-Boer and Russo-Japanese wars, has rather upset the old theories as to the killing and stopping powers of high-velocity projectiles. Without going into unnecessary detail, we may point out that the wounding power of a bullet depends on 1. the kinetic energy or power of doing work or damage imparted to it by the explosion of the charge, and 2. the facility with which it converts its energy into work on striking an object. As to the former factor, the power of any given bullet of doing work or damage depends on its velocity. Again, for a number of bullets of different weights moving with the same velocity, the power depends on the weight. The kinetic energy of a bullet depends, therefore, on its weight and on the velocity with which it is moving. Kinetic energy, or simply energy, is expressed in foot-pounds, 
which show the number of pounds weight that the energy stored up in the bullet would be capable of lifting one foot in height at any given time, and may be calculated from the usual formula W times V squared over 2G, where W equals weight of bullet in pounds, V equals velocity of bullet in feet per second, G equals the acceleration due to gravity, which, for purposes of approximate calculation, may be taken as 32. This formula shows that an increase in velocity has much greater effect in adding to the energy than a proportionate increase in weight, on account of the velocity being squared. For instance, if the weight of a bullet were doubled, and the muzzle velocity were unaltered, the muzzle energy would be doubled. But if the weight were unaltered, and the muzzle velocity were doubled, the muzzle energy would be quadrupled. This explains one reason for endeavouring to give the greatest possible velocity to a bullet. The energy of a bullet is therefore easily and accurately determined when we know its weight and velocity. Turning now to the second factor, we shall find that there is no simple formula to enable us to calculate the facility with which the bullet gives up its energy, by converting it into work on striking an object. It depends on the following considerations. 1. The cross-section area of the bullet. 2. The ability of the bullet to set up or break up. 3. The resistance it meets with 1. The greater the cross-section area of the bullet, the larger is the hole it has to cut for itself. Consequently, more work is done by the bullet in traversing the object. 2. If the bullet sets up or expands, it will do more work for the reason given in 1. If the bullet breaks up, each piece cuts a track for itself. Therefore, it will do far more work on the object it passes through than if it made only one track. 3. The greater the resistance the bullet meets with, the greater the amount of work the bullet has to expend in overcoming it. In other words, more of the bullet's energy is expended on the object, and less energy is carried on by the bullet in its flight after passing through the object. If the resistance were great enough to stop the bullet, all the bullet's energy would be expended on the object. The above hints, summarized from the official Textbook of Small Arms, give some idea of the principles on which the wounding power of a bullet depends. The author of the textbook then proceeds. Up to the advent of the modern small-bore rifle below 320-inch caliber, with its hard-coated bullet, there were no serious complaints of want of stopping power. But on the subject of the wounding power of small-bore bullets, the greatest diversity of opinion has been expressed. This appears to be due to several causes, the chief of which is the fact that the wounding power varies enormously in proportion to the striking velocity and to the resistance the bullet meets with. Most of the experimental work in connection with this subject has been carried out against dead horses or dead men as targets. A correct conclusion cannot be drawn from such experiments, as it is found from experience in South Africa and elsewhere, 
that the small bore bullet does less damage on living creatures than the experiments would lead one to expect. The following extract from Surgeon Colonel W. F. Stevenson's work, Wounds in War, emphasizes this point. It is now apparent that conclusions drawn from experiments made on dead animals or men are not borne out by what is observed when living men are wounded by small bore projectiles. Whether this is because dead animal tissue is harder or more resistant, the fats having solidified and the liquids being greatly diminished in quantity, or from some other cause, is not just now quite certain. But it is steadily becoming more and more evident that the appalling destruction produced in dead animals and cadavers by small projectiles, tried in any of the ways above referred to, is not experienced when men are hit by them under the ordinary conditions. Footnote. The ways referred to consisted in either firing with the full service charge at the various ranges at which it was desired to test the wounding power of the bullet, or in firing at a short range with a reduced charge that gives the bullet the same velocity it would have at the longer range at which the experimentalist desired to ascertain its effect. End of footnote. In considering the wounding power of bullets, it is advisable to divide the subject into two parts. First, the wounding power at ranges where the bullet may produce explosive effects. Second, the wounding power at longer ranges. The explosive effect observed in some wounds is due to a cylindro-conoidal bullet traveling at a high rate of speed, striking a hard bone, or meeting with great resistance in its passage through an object. The many splinters into which the bone is broken are driven forward by the bullet with great velocity, and themselves act as secondary missiles producing great destruction in the neighboring tissues, and make an enormous exit wound, such as would lead one to suppose that the bullet itself had exploded. The effect has occasionally been observed where soft parts only have been traversed, but such cases are very exceptional. With rifles of the Martini-Henry class, such wounds might be produced up to 150 or 200 yards, and on account of the leaden bullet setting up and becoming deformed on striking the bone, the explosive effect might be even more severe than that produced by the modern small bore. On account of the higher velocity of the modern rifles, explosive effect may occur up to 300 or 350 yards. When soft parts are struck, bullets of the Martini-Henry type crush through the tissues causing more laceration and shock than the small-bore bullet with its higher velocity, which cuts through the flesh more cleanly, making a wound which often heals in a very short time. At the longer ranges, from 350 to 800 yards, the small-bore bullet and the 450 produce bone fractures of about the same gravity. From 800 to 1,200 yards, the fractures produced by the small bore are the less severe of the two. At ranges over 1,200 yards, the small bore, on account of its retaining its velocity better, 
causes greater destruction in striking bones than the larger bullet. At the longer ranges, soft parts are more lacerated by the large-bore bullet. The latter may also complicate the wound by remaining in it. In experiments with the Mauser rifle bullet of 0.311 inch diameter, it was found that the bullet never lodged in the tissues of the body at ranges up to 1,500 yards. Taking the surgical results of the South African War as a whole, it appears that, although terrible wounds have been caused by explosive effect, the small arm wounds have generally been more successfully treated than in the days of plain lead bullets. It is more common nowadays to hear of cures being effected when the abdomen or brain have been perforated than in the days of the 45 bore. Although this satisfactory state of things must be partly attributed to the advance of scientific and surgical knowledge and also to the increased range at which modern battles are fought, still the small bore hard-coated bullet must be given its share of the credit in bringing about this humane result. The subject of the stopping power of small-bore rifles is of importance in the present day as the reduction of caliber is still proceeding. The last step in this direction is the Mondragon rifle of 5 mm or 0.197 inch bore, firing a bullet of 6 calibers or 1.22 inches in length with a velocity of 2,656 feet per second. With such a rifle, the velocity stated to be obtained must have an important influence on its wounding power. Explosive effects would probably be produced at greater ranges than at present. It also appears probable that such extremely small bullets would cause but slight flesh wounds, which would readily heal. It would thus appear that the modern small-caliber, high-velocity bullet, although it may wound at a longer range, is a much less deadly weapon than the old military breech-loader. No one who has seen the terrible smashing and lacerating effects of the chassepot and needle-gun bullets, and one of the editors has seen hundreds, can doubt that the modern projectile is, if less effective, more humane. End of section 3